Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from Hebrews chapter 10. This is in connection with Lord's Day 7, which asks the question, what is faith? And so we'll read Hebrews 10, verse 32, through chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So far from the word of God. As we reflect on these things, let's sing together from Psalm 16, stanzas 1 and 2. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of the Christian faith, the essentials of Christian doctrine, and today we find ourselves in Lord's Day 7. This will also, of course, be the topic for the sermon. Lord's Day 7, that's on page 523 of your books of praise. There the question is, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, 
only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And then there follows the Apostles' Creed, which we'll be singing together after the sermon. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's safe to say that there's no other religion in the world that makes as much an issue of believing as Christianity does. Only in Christianity is believing the only single requirement for salvation. And you might see it on on the side of the road on some sign or maybe in the hands of a protester, the sign that says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it almost seems too simple. Why is believing so central? Why is it so important that everything hinges on whether or not we believe? And since we know it is so important, then we also want to know what exactly does it mean to believe? If everything hangs on that question, you wouldn't want to get that wrong. Well, Hebrews chapter 10 and chapter 11 talk a lot at length about the issue of believing and the importance of believing. Think of Hebrews 10 verse 39. He says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Or 11 verse 6, Without faith, another word for believing in the Greek, it's the same word, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So we've seen in the last several weeks how Christ is the only possible Savior, the Savior that God has sent because He meets all of God's requirements. And our catechism now leads us to ask the next logical question. Since Christ is our mediator, Are we all, all of us human beings now, saved since God has sent Christ into the world? Just as we all fell into Adam, are we all now saved in Christ? And the answer the Catechism gives is no. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into or joined into Christ. So this afternoon we'll look at what Scripture teaches about faith and about believing, and how that joins us to Christ. We can summarize the message as follows. By faith, we hold on to our salvation. And we'll see first what faith is, what it means to believe. And then we'll look at what faith believes, the substance or the content of faith. What kinds of beliefs count as genuine Christian faith. And then finally, we'll be able to answer the question, why do we need faith? Why is it so important. So that's where we're going this afternoon. It's good to stop and and take the time to define what faith is, because it's a word that we use a lot. We toss it around as a culture without thinking about what faith actually is. Last year sometime I read an article. I couldn't find it back. I googled all over. But it was in a non-Christian newspaper, and it was reacting against Islamophobia, or at least what it called Islamophobia, and it made the argument that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have faith. Faith is what matters. 
Now, I, I think you can all see that there's something illogical about that. Of course it matters what you believe. But what struck me as I read that is these people clearly have a very different idea of what faith is. They're talking about the importance of having faith at the same time as saying it doesn't matter what you believe. The author never bothered to define what faith is. They just said it was something that's very important. Now you see, of course, faith by itself, just the word by itself, it doesn't mean anything. Faith is always faith in something or someone. Maybe it's a generic faith that the future's going to be better for me or for the world. Maybe it's faith that humanity as a whole is going to progress in a positive direction. Maybe it's faith in my own abilities to achieve my dreams. But it's always faith in something. And whether those are reasonable things to believe is a different question altogether. But the point is, there's no such thing as just plain old generic faith. And before we go on, let me make another point about what faith is is not. People sometimes talk about faith, even Christians talk about faith, like it's the opposite of evidence. Like, I don't need a reason to believe this because I just believe it by faith. But that's not faith. Faith isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just an excuse to believe what we don't have any other reason to believe. Faith has its reasons. Simply put then, faith is trust. And it's good to recognize everyone has faith. Everyone has trust. Everyone trusts someone or something, whether that someone or something deserves that trust or not. For Christians, faith is trust in God. It's trust that God's word is true. It's trust that God's promises are real. That the life that God sets before us, for example, in the Ten Commandments, is good. That's a part of faith. So faith isn't at all just leaping into the dark. You know, we sometimes talk about a leap of faith. But faith isn't leaping into the dark. In fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's following God into the light. It's trusting that there's light where God points us to go. Now, of course, there are many times of uncertainty in, in a Christian life. There are times when what we see and hear and feel don't seem to line up with what God is saying. But faith is trusting God's, God's voice more than our feelings because we believe that God is worthy of that kind of confidence. So sometimes our, our faith can be reinforced by great amounts of evidence, and many Christians would, would certainly attest to that. But sometimes we also have to trust God in spite of what we see or hear or feel. Sometimes the evidence only follows faith. It only comes afterwards. Sometimes we have to trust that God is speaking the truth and only afterwards see it for ourselves. Well, Hebrews 11 gives a beautiful description of that kind of faith. It's probably the most famous chapter on faith in, in the entire Bible. But before we get there, let's put that text in its context. The author has been 
urging the, the Hebrew Christians to hold on to their faith, to, to hold on in endurance to what they've believed. And if you look at chapter 10, verse 35, he says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence. This is really the message of the whole book of Hebrews. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he describes what it looks like to wait for God's promises, to trust that God is telling the truth, to walk after God's voice, and to wait and see that to be fulfilled. And so he says in verse 39, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, who hold on, who believe and are saved. So when he gets to chapter 11 in the next verse, he's not talking about faith in some generic sense. He doesn't take the time anymore to define faith other than in verse 1. But he's not talking about a generic faith, but faith in the promises of God. So he says in in verse 1 of chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let me make sure that's the ESV as well. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Yes. So this, this isn't the most literal translation of the Greek. The old King James actually does a much better job translating this verse. It says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. And that's a lot closer to what the text actually says here. The, the substance of, of something is what that thing is made of. You might see a, a chemist in a laboratory saying, I'm not just talking about this, this chemical in the abstract. I've got the substance right here in my lab. And so the point here in verse 1 is faith is not just high hopes in the day that, that something might be true eventually, or in the day of, or hopes in in one day having that something, but it's the certainty of already having it. That's what drives faith. And the same is true of this expression that faith is the evidence of things not seen. You don't see the glory of Christ in the presence of God, which is what our faith is in. It's what we're hoping for. You don't see that with your eyes but you do see it as truly as you would with your eyes by faith. And and it's that, that confidence, that assurance, that evidence, that substance, that certainty, it's that that makes an impact then on the believer's life. And it's visible, it becomes evidence to those looking at the believer so that people can see that this person doesn't... People who see this person but but don't have that faith themselves, they can visibly witness that faith. That faith becomes visible because of the way that it affects the believer's life. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. You you might imagine this with Abraham. a, A person living in Ur of the Chaldeans might not believe that God had spoken to Abraham, but the evidence is in the life of Abraham, and the same is true of Christians. We become the evidence of our faith. So that's the description that Hebrews 11, verse 1 gives. And our catechism offers a, a, a more technical definition. It's equally biblical, but it focuses on describing what that faith is, is made of. And our catechism says there's, there's two parts 
to faith. It's a sure knowledge and it's a firm confidence. You can think of these two in terms of head and heart. Knowledge is a word that's connected to the head or the brain, while confidence is more oriented towards the heart, our feelings, our response. And of course, you can't ever truly have one without the other. Our feelings are rooted in what we believe. And those two terms, knowledge and and confidence, they get at what the author to the Hebrews is also trying to drive home. All these men of faith, Abraham, the prophets, the faithful believers in Israel, what they had in common was that sure knowledge that certain things were true. And that knowledge is what drove them with that absolute confidence so that, as I mentioned, Abraham could leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go where God had called them. It began with the certainty that God was speaking the truth to him. And so the author here tells his readers that they should also live out of that same confidence and not let that confidence grow weak or wane. So chapter 10, verse 35, again, he says, Do not throw away that confidence, because it will be richly rewarded. In verse 39, he says, Do not shrink back or give up on the faith because of the challenges that are ahead. So we can see faith is an absolute certainty that certain things are true, And as a result, it's an absolute confidence that drives the believer's entire life. But now we might ask, what are those things of which a believer is certain? What is that confidence that characterizes his or her life? What is that confidence in? And that's our second point, what faith believes. We saw in Hebrews 10 that faith is confidence in God's promises. But you can actually make that more general still. Faith is confidence in God's entire word. His promises, yes. Also, his warnings. Also, his commandments. Also, anything else that he tells us. So, in in verse 7, the author says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed the ark out of... uh, for his household. Or in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. So faith is a response not just to promises, but to warnings and to commands. And, and so our catechism then says, true faith is a sure knowledge in a general sense, whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed in his word. Now the point here isn't that that to be a true believer, you have to know everything that's written in the Bible. There's no one, of course, who does. There will be some who have been Christians for 50 years or more, and they're still learning new things from God's Word, even if they've been studying for years with much effort and and discipline. And there's others among us who, who are brand new Christians. They don't know everything that's in the Bible. And faith doesn't require us to know everything, but what we do know we believe. And that's the point. It's faith is trust in our God who has revealed himself. All that God has revealed, we accept as true. We might not know every detail written in scripture, but we do trust that whatever is written in here is true and trustworthy because of the one who said it, which is God our Father, because he is true and trustworthy. Now, that does mean that whatever we we do know from Scripture 
It's essential that we do accept it as true, which is easier said than done. Hebrews 11 verse 3 mentions a very contemporary example. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So this means that no matter how many people might ridicule us for that belief that God created the world and he did it in the way that he said he did it in Genesis, no matter how many people might ridicule that belief, we must accept it as true. Faith accepts God's word as true. Faith trusts that God is not deceiving us. Nor does faith suspend judgment. Some, some Christians might say, well, Scripture says one thing, and what I see in the world, or in the evidence, or in the fossils, or whatever it is, it says another thing, and so I'll suspend judgment until I, until I see later, which is true. Well, faith hears God speak and responds with certainty. If we simply suspended our judgment when God spoke, then how could we ever live by faith? You might imagine if if Abraham had heard God speaking to him and decided to, to wait until the evidence lined up with what God was saying before he believed it, he never would have left Ur. If the early Christians, too, had decided to suspend their judgment either way about whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not until all the evidence comes out, then they never would have been willing to stake their lives, which is what they did, on that claim that Jesus rose from the dead. So when our God speaks, we respond confidently, trusting that his word is true and that he will ultimately be vindicated, that the evidence will come out eventually behind him. So we trust that whatever God has told us in his word is true, even if we don't understand how it could be so. Just a couple hours ago, I saw in the news there was a landslide in Ethiopia, 50 people at least killed God's word says that God is sovereign over things like that. My feelings don't line up with that. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. It's very hard to understand. How does a sovereign God do something like that? And yet that's what God's word teaches. And faith responds with that kind of certainty. God is sovereign even over something like that. Now, the Christians certainly will struggle with many things in God's word from time to time. And we should always, of course, as fellow Christians, have grace, have mercy and patience with each other as we struggle to accept what God's word says. Many times the struggle is a struggle that's still done out of faith. It's believing and yet struggling to understand. But the the attitude of faith must always be... uh, How can I understand what I'm seeing, given what I know about what Scripture says? It's never, how can I reinterpret Scripture based on what I see in the world? In the course of history, many things that Scripture has taught have come under attack from the world. And and many of those same attacks do infiltrate into the church. In one age, it was the divinity of Christ. In other ages, it was the two natures of Christ In our own age, it might be what Scripture says about creation or about gender roles or homosexuality. And we can can easily brush these off as sort of non-essentials. These aren't things that we have to agree on. But what is essential is to accept what Scripture says as true. So the, the more clearly that Scripture reveals it, the more surely we must believe it. In that sense, there's no such thing as a non-essential to our faith. 
faith always accepts what Scripture says is true, and that is essential to faith. It's impossible to be a Christian and at the same time to to knowingly reject or deny what, what Scripture says, whatever the reason might be. And the early Christian church made this so clear in the creeds that we have today. And, and, and they insisted we must uphold that same attitude of faith. It's essential to our salvation. You might think of how the Athanasian Creed ends, that, that those who do not believe this cannot be saved. We have to have that same attitude of faith today. By faith we trust that what God has told us is true and it's right and it's good. And that's not always easy. But that is always the response of faith. It's that certainty that compelled the men and and women that we read about in in Hebrews 11. It's that same certainty that compelled the Apostle Paul to proclaim the gospel no matter who believed it, regardless of whether it would take root or not. He left that up to God, but he boldly proclaimed the gospel. 2 Corinthians describes that that struggle of faith, boldly proclaiming while desiring that people believe and yet not sure whether they will or not. It's that same absolute confidence in what God tells us. And without that confidence, there's no way we would be able to live out our faith or to carry out the gospel to the rest of the world and to carry on our faith all the way to death. As, as, as so many believers have done before us. We need to accept God's word and take that acceptance all the way to the grave. But there's more than, than just being confident that what God's word says is true. That's certainly essential, but James makes this point in James 2. Even Satan, even the demons know that God's word is true. James 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The kind of faith which carries us to the end and which holds us onto Christ is a faith that believes promises that are also very personal, that have to do with me. That's what the Catechism also emphasizes. And you see that here in in Hebrews as well. You look at verse 8. We see God made promises to Abraham and to Sarah. And they believed those personal promises. It was their confidence that God would keep his promises that drove them from Ur and from their homes, from their families, from everything that they knew to a land that God said he would show them. They trusted that his promises were also for them. And so our catechism summarizes for us also some of the promises that we must believe. True faith is a firm confidence that not only to other people, but also to me, that God has granted forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. That's something that must be believed also for you personally. It must be accepted. It must be embraced. True faith hears the call of the gospel and believes that, in a general sense, all who turn to Christ will be forgiven and saved. But then faith also acts on that general knowledge and him or herself also turns to Christ and then confidently trusts in God's promises themselves. 
faith is confident that he or she also belongs to Christ. And, and we can observe this also in the brief summary that the Catechism gives us, that, that there are obviously other things beyond just those promises there that we must believe in order to have confidence in those promises. That's why it mentions the Apostles' Creed. We must believe all these things because without them, there, there can be no faith. The faith falls apart. So, we, we, for example, we, we cannot believe that God has granted us forgiveness of sins unless we also believe that we are sinners. That's essential to our faith. Or we cannot believe that God has granted everlasting righteousness to us unless we also believe in the, the resurrection of the dead. So there are other things that must be believed for faith, for Christian faith to truly be Christian faith. But the things mentioned here in the Catechism are a good summary of the essential truths of Christianity. What's highlighted in, in this summary, the Apostles' Creed, is, is that faith is a very personal conviction. That all of these things are not only true, but they're true for me. God doesn't just forgive sins in Christ in general. He forgives my sins in Christ because of what Christ has done for me. And that personal conviction also then demands a change of heart. And it can be, it can be very difficult and, and painful and humbling to, to take that extra step from knowing something in general, knowing that God's word is true in general, to accepting that these things are true for me, that I am a broken sinner. My sins are paid not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done for me. The difference between the head and the heart can be a very painful and very humbling difference, but it's very necessary uh, for, for faith. And, and that conviction also then has a deep impact on our lives. If you believe that these things are, are not just true, but true for you, that changes your hearts and it changes your lives as well. It gives you a boldness that can overcome everything that, that you encounter, all the challenges that, that a Christian encounters in life, because we know that nothing separates me from the love of Christ, which God has given to me. It gives a peace that knows how to endure. Just head knowledge doesn't give that kind of peace. Head knowledge can still be shaken and, and, can, and can be blown about, like Paul says, by the winds and waves of various doctrines or even various challenges and trials that we experience. It's that heart confidence that makes us firm. We sang earlier from Psalm 62, that God is our, our rock, our stronghold. And that faith, that confidence comes from not just head knowledge, but head knowledge that is brought down into the heart, that these things are true also for me. And that gives also a deep gratitude that, we, that sees God's goodness even in the darkest moments of life. Because like Paul says, we know that these light momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to things that are not seen. So that's what faith believes and so since we now have a clear idea of what faith is and what faith believes, we can easily answer the question, why is faith necessary for, for salvation? Why is it so important to God that we have faith? Why is it that faith is the standard for who is saved and who is not? 
It can seem easy if you just look at that sign taken out of context. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It seems almost simplistic. And so we sometimes imagine that faith must be something deeper. It must be something mysterious. And who knows whether I've really achieved that faith or not. But it's not something deeper. It's not something mysterious. It is simply trust and belief. So why does God make this the standard? Well, the answer to this is that faith is relationship with God. That, that relationship of trust is a relationship that causes us to walk with God. And that's the very thing for which we were created. I've drilled this into the catechism students at this point. That we were created to know God, to love Him, and to live with Him. And they could all recite that by heart at this point. And that's what faith is. It's that, that walking with God in a trusting relationship. So you look at verse 5 in Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, we know hardly anything at all about Enoch. All we know about him comes from this text and another text in Jude and a very short description in Genesis uh, chapter 5. And that short description is simply this. This is a one-verse description of Enoch that Hebrews takes and says he must have walked by faith. It says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. And then it repeats the point again. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Well, that walking with God is the only description we really have of his life. And yet the author of the Hebrews says, this man lived by faith. We can only say that because faith is another way of describing walking with God. It's friends who walk together. It's a relationship that that describes. Now, we also know, of course, in the fullness of time that God sent his son to to make the payment for our sins. That's the gospel, so that we could again walk with him. So we weren't just created to walk with God. We were also saved in order to walk again with God. We weren't saved so that we could start fulfilling the law in all its perfectness and therefore serve God. We were created primarily so that we could walk with God, including in the keeping of the law. God created us to love him, and he saved us so that we would love him again. Now that said, it's not as though the response of faith originates from within us. That's also emphasized in the Catechism. Where does faith come from? It's worked in us by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 12, the author to the Hebrews says that Jesus himself is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he does that through his Spirit whom he sends to us. Now the Spirit works faith in different means. He uses the preaching. In in the case of Abraham, he simply used those encounters that Abraham had with God, speaking directly to Abraham. For many Israelites in the time of the prophets, the Holy Spirit used the ministry of the prophets to instill faith in them. So he has different means. 
Today, the Holy Spirit uses the preaching as one of the primary tools, as well as the instruction of parents and Bible reading and family devotions and prayer and the other means of grace that, that God has given. And that's, those, those are the Holy Spirit's tool, whether it's done in church or even at home, explained by your parents or alone as you read Christian books. We hear the gospel through all of those means. And as we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to see the glory of God. And when that happens, we are entirely, completely changed. And we learn that faith. We learn to trust God. And we learn that that God will fulfill all of his promises. So in conclusion, let us, by faith, Always maintain that same trust that Hebrews 11 speaks of. That same confidence in God's promises. That what he says is true, and it's true for each of us. So let that confidence be the mark of your life. So that your faith would also then be the evidence of things not seen also to other people. Let that response of faith and confidence... uh, be, be also what we teach to our children and what we witness to the world. And then let us love God as, as an outworking of that trust. If I trust that what he says is true, then I also love him with all my heart. He is my highest, my deepest treasure. And in him, in Christ, I've been reconciled to God the Father so that I can begin with my whole life to walk with him. And that's what faith is all about. Amen.